a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart with it. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is no Um, so I, I think kind of speaking to that about helping others and things, that's sort of George Bailey and, and Mary Bailey's MO, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like we said, this is sort of a version of A Christmas Carol. You know, the visitation by a spirit to convince someone to look at life differently. But in this case, instead of having a horrible man who needs to change his ways for the better, you have mm-hmm. a good man, like the best man, a good ever. man <laughs> who is not convinced that what he's doing is making any difference. Yeah. Now it's a wonderful life. Okay, so this is a movie um, that was always on TV when I was a kid. Always, 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 because literally you would. It was a joke. You would go visit grandma or my uncle or whoever on Christmas Eve and It's a Wonderful Life would be literally on every single channel. You would flip <laughs> and oh, there it is again. Uh, if you watched it on PBS, there were no commercials. I mean, because it was out, uh, it uh-huh. was in the public domain at the time. Uh, it's since been bought by Paramount. Who now owns? And yet, I only saw it for the first time uh, three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing: I had never. S- Which I, is actually a perfect time for me to see it. It had become such a joke about seeing it that no one ever watched it. No mm. one ever watched it all the way through. I mean, because maybe that's what I did. Because it would be on, and and people would be like, "Hey, it's a Wonderful Life is coming on in ten minutes. We could always watch that." It's like, nah. You know, <laughs> I mean, no one would ever watch it because we'd always seen little bits of it. I knew so many moments of this movie, but I had no idea how they fit together. I know. That's the same thing I had. Like, I thought I knew what it was. But when I finally sat down and watched it, mm-mm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was not at all what I thought it was. I think I was in junior high or high school, and my mom just said, "You know what? This year we should just watch from beginning to end. It's a Wonderful Life. It's on PBS. There's no commercials. We can watch the whole thing um, all the way through, and it'll start again when it's over." Okay, yeah. So we actually sat down and we watched the whole movie, and. When it was over, it was like, oh, my God, that is one of the best movies I have ever seen. Yeah. And so it became one of those things where uh, when it was when the rights were repurchased. So you had to it was it would be broadcast on television once a year after that uh, and or you had to buy it. And so I got the VHS tape. And, you know, I still have the little ornament that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. uh, (laughs) I would start watching it a lot. I would watch it when it wasn't Christmas. If I needed a boost, I would watch it. I I watched this a lot in college. It's not overly Christmassy, so you could I could see still watching it other times throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And 
so in college, I this was a lot that I watched. <laughs> I watched this one a lot because I I had a really tough time with college. I struggled badly with certain areas of study and was like, do I really want to do this anymore? And uh, should I try something else? And so this was kind of my go-to movie uh, for a long time. Over the years, I've just kind of continued. I mean, like I said, we watch it every year now. At this point, it whenever I watch it, it will never not move me. It will never, I will never not have a moment somewhere in it where I will be reduced to a blubbering mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it changes what affects me. I wonder if we have the same moment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it, what, when it happens affects me different ways, different times I see it. It's always the note at the end for me. Oh, no, uh, his, his inscription in the book. <laughs> that makes yeah. me cry. Yeah. So um, the film itself is based on a Christmas card. <laughs> it's amazing that this whole movie was made from a Christmas card. Really? Yeah. That was came out in the early 40s, I believe. And so this whole world is just created. And I love this opening where it just says, you are now in Bedford Falls. I mean, that's the first thing you know. You know what world you're in. You're in Americana somewhere. You know, you don't know where it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, Supposedly, it's in upstate New York or something like that. Seems like the East Coast. Yeah. And so we are transported into space, which is one of the weirdest ways to start a movie like this. A movie that is so (laughs) grounded in life and reality starts out with a couple of like angels talking. Yeah, it's like (laughs) nebula talking to each other in space. But they're They're like constellations talking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, for it to start that way, I think is really interesting because it kind of ignores it for a while. You know, and so by the time Clarence shows up at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're in we're in a fantasy. Yeah, that, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't take you out of the reality of it. I think it spends so much time being in the real world in a reality, a, a very real feeling reality that uh, it doesn't it somehow doesn't take me out of it. No, I thought it was weird at first. Yeah. Like when I was I first saw this, but um, I, I mean, you're just so enraptured with the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And we're, we're shown Bedford Falls, you know, it's, oh, that's right, you haven't got to your wings yet. So the, you, then you see them as kids. <laughs> and this whole sequence with the kids is everything that they become later in life is sort of established. I know that doesn't really happen yes. in, in real life, but, but you know, <laughs> yeah. they're doing the hee-haw thing to Sam Wainwright. And they're, it, the kid who's playing uh, young George Bailey. I 100% believe would grow up to be Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, because uh, there's this line where he says, where um, Mary says, says, will you help me down? And he goes, help you down. Which sounds just yes. like something Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> a Jimmy Stewart line delivery. That kid is amazing, He's so good. by the way. He's also. He's such a good actor. He's in another Christmas movie that came out of around the same time called The Bishop's Wife. Uh, with David Niven, Maureen O'Hara, and Cary Grant. Nice. It was remade into The Preacher's Wife uh, some years later with uh, Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. So it's the same kid <laughs> that's it's in both of those movies. And I thought that was kind of fun. You know, so much of... Two of these... There's two moments yeah. in these earlier... Just the movie has... Like you were saying before, it's like it feels very much like little vignettes. Mm-hmm. The, whole, the movie is full of little vignettes. And these two moments, like right at the beginning, already kind of kill me. You know, how sweet they are and how sad they are. Oh, I know. 
I know. Because you're set up right from the beginning. You know, he saves his brother. I mean, we don't need to. I yeah. think people, if you haven't seen this movie, just go watch it. You'll like it. I've <laughs> I've never heard someone who has said, oh, I just don't want to watch it. I hate it. It's wonderful. I, I, I don't. I haven't run into those people, honestly. And when people finally go sit down and watch it, they're like, oh, yeah, that really is good. I get it. You know, yeah. I mean, I have not, I've just not encountered very many people who finally watched it and said, oh, that was awful. You know, I mean, there are things in it that are imperfect. I mean, that we'll get to, but most people I've known have been like, yeah, that's pretty good, <laughs> you know, uh, and which is cool. <laughs> that's why I like not watching some of these movies until like later on in life, mm-hmm. you know, like if I, I think it's, this is another one, especially, well, well obviously again, we'll get into it, like certain like main thing that uh, goes on in this movie is like I wouldn't have connected with it as much if I had seen it when I was growing up you know just seeing it three years ago I was like okay yeah yeah uh yeah I feel that now Mm -hmm. yeah it's one it's definitely one again like like singing in the rain again where like you you think you know what kind of movie you're getting into you have no idea what kind of movie you're getting into it's a wonderful life if you only know it as being like that that old sappy Christmas movie which is honestly how I saw it for the longest Mm -hmm. time which is probably why I didn't watch it all the way through before yeah i think people get so latched onto the ending because the ending is such a high high you know that but i mean seriously this is one of the darkest movies ever Mm -hmm. it's very very dark for much of its running time and yeah uh, but it's always sort of punctuated with humor and it moves so quickly or it's it moves or it's punctuated with sappiness that is very earned i think and very very sweet um like i was saying like one of my favorite moments at the beginning Uh here is um introducing like the the girls (laughs) first of all i love violet she's like one of my favorites when uh mary says to her like you oh she's violet says you know i like george and mary says you "You like like every every boy boy." yeah what's wrong with that yeah girl yeah it's but oh god that moment that moment when mary um like leans like when he's leaning down and she's she leans over and is like is this the ear you can't hear out of you know Mm -hmm. george bailey i love you for the rest till the day i die i was like oh my god yeah (laughs) that gets to me it's it's so sappy and so corny but it's so fucking cute i love it and but it's this is all cut with that you know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, because he saved his brother, he, he's got the he got the ear infection, lost hearing in his ear, which I can yeah. relate to that. Actually, my, my brother was born with not being able to hear out of one ear. So, you know, if you sit, if you're hanging out with him and you're sitting on the wrong side, he's always yeah. going, what? <laughs> you know, it turned his, it's so, I mean, it's, it's a thing. I mean, it's, it's, there's a real um, sensibility to that. And it, there's, this kind of captures the whole reality of that. Mm-hmm. Um but that's a little tangent, but the stuff with Mr. Gower. Yeah, yeah, the whole Mr. Gower thing. It's such a how this movie can work tonally is a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, because it goes from Gower finding out, you know, your son died and he's drinking in the back and he's yelling at George saying, Well, I don't pay you to be a canary and all these things. But, you know, he accidentally fills the the capsules with poison, um, which why you would have. Which, why is there yeah, poison w- back there w- to begin it's with? it's got a, a big label on it that says poison. Poison. Um, <laughs> what kind <laughs> of poison? Hello? Like, <laughs> but, yeah. okay. It's just a visual cue. We get it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just 
signaling to the audience so they just you don't have to explain it too much, right? And so, you know, ask dad, he knows. I love all that stuff. All those little tricks of the camera and the editing mm-hmm. that Capra does. I mean, because he was such a pro by this point. And, you know, when he goes back into the drugstore and, what, you haven't gotten them yet? I was supposed to be delivered an hour ago. And then he starts boxing um, George's ears. This kid in the scene. Oh, Incredible. my God. When he's and he's basically crying, like, don't hurt my sore ear again. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I know. Wow. Well, and, and the thing he's is, it also, there's a, there's a little shot that's put in of Mary flinching. And she's got like tears yes. in her eyes. And it, and you Listen, feel just that. Listening to it, yeah. For a second. I mean, she becomes the audience because you feel her reaction. And I, it just makes it all so much more powerful. And, and then, he, then, then, then he says, there's poison and there's poison. You know, and, and then Gower just sort of goes in to hug him. Yeah. And, you know, don't hit my sore ear again. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, and, and there's obviously an affection that pre-exists this scene between George mm-hmm. and Gower. Uh, like like a, yeah. a healthy one. <laughs> you know, not, not anything yes. that's, that's negative, right? Um, yes. So, but, you know, also it's just like, you you see that and that that was not particularly uncommon in 1910 for an adult to box the ears of a child and you know that's sad but i mean it's but it's true and i i and his ears his ears bleeding uh he permanently loses hearing in his ear because of it but i thought it was because of the he already couldn't hear before yeah yeah it just it just makes it worse you know it just sort of guarantees that it's never coming back um now what's interesting is but the go ahead well but the way that the the kid is it's setting up just how again kind of like claire and scrooge like how good of a person Mm -hmm. george is even as a kid because what he's saying to to mr gower and that he's like i know you didn't do it on purpose i know you're sad about your son like but you gave him you gave you put poison in these capsules but i know you didn't mean it i know and he's crying like saying that because he's he's like not mad at him he's not trying to shame him he's just saying like you're upset and you made a mistake you know so don't beat yourself up too much almost in a way and he's just just the way that he's revealing i don't know you know what i mean the way that he's telling him what he did so he doesn't he obviously feels mr gower feels horrible for what he did yeah yeah. what could have happened from that well he feels horrible for his reaction his drunken reaction in in hurting george he's like oh my you know i think there's a sense of uh can you ever forgive me and george is just that kind of person that's like yes i can yes Yes. And, you know, yeah. that doesn't excuse Gower's actions. But at the same time, when Gower sa- when George says to him, you know, I won't tell anybody, I promise, you, no one's ever going to know, you believe him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he ever revealed to a single soul ever that this happened. And it's, it's really something, you know, I mean... I think spending time in this child scene, childhood scene is kind of important because it sort of sets up the the sensibility of the whole movie. Every movie is sort of like yeah. this little short stories, collection of short stories that hang together in this ultimate whole uh-huh. in, in this beautiful way. I don't, that always gets to me. Yeah. I think it's the child actor is so good He's, as young oh, George. Yeah, I know. He gets to me. <laughs> Just even thinking about those scenes, I was like, it's really getting to me. Well, and, the, and then the little girls that play Violet and Mary are terrific, uh-huh. too. I mean, in their in their moments, they I mean, Capra is such a master of setting up these sequences, you know, and blocking them and and shooting them in such the way where the actors are. I mean, he's he's not given credit, I think, for being such a 
visual storyteller because there's so much in this that is unspoken. You don't have to tell us everything or we don't have to understand entirely how the building and loan works. I was going to ask you because yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> get it. It doesn't, it doesn't really <laughs> matter entirely. It yeah. doesn't really matter how Potter runs the town it doesn't it, it's just like you just know you just get the sense of yeah george is doing a good thing whatever it is potter is trying to undermine it all the time and mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's really effective and you know another thing uh, you talk about the cast in in scrooge the cast in this movie too oh yes. my gosh i mean um thomas mitchell do we love jimmy stewart is like jimmy stewart like the actor for this show or something because oh, this man. is the third one is this the third <laughs> one with him yeah. I, I could do. We did rope. Yeah. Did anatomy of anatomy a murder. murder and is, yeah. No, There's so life. and I've talked about wanting to do Harvey and uh, some others as well. Yeah. A rear window and of of the classic actors, he and uh, I mean, sort of the classic leading man actor. He's my favorite. I'm Boris Karloff fan, of course, but. For me, Jimmy Stewart is sort of my favorite, I guess, everyman actor. It's either Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Cary Grant is less of an everyman for me. And I love Cary Grant. He's so cute yeah. and funny, though. Yeah. He's very funny. And um, for me, Jimmy Stewart is, I mean, he's not just, and what I love about this movie, he's moved beyond being just the aw shucks character. Both of the movies, all the movies that we've talked mm. about have been not that. Of yeah. Him. This yeah. is glimpses into where he would be in Vertigo. And anatomy. He's a of, little of shucks. You know, there's of the course there is. He's in a Capra movie. But I yeah. mean, but there are <laughs> glimpses. It's it's beyond Mr. Smith, though. And I love Mr. Smith. But I think what he's doing here, and we'll talk about this. There are shots in this movie where it's just him thinking. Mm-hmm. And I could just watch him think almost the whole movie, and it would be all we would need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in the childhood scenes, there's still the introductions of Uncle Billy and uh, Henry, oh, I almost said Harry Potter, Henry Potter, uh, Lionel Barrymore's Henry Potter. Um <laughs> But then, you know, as it goes on, obviously, we have Donna Reed. We've got uh, Henry Travers as Clarence, eventually. Bula Bondi is his mother. Then Ward Bond is Bert, the cop. Uh, Gloria Graham is the grown-up Violet. H.B. Uh, Warner is Mr. Gower. You know, H.B. Warner was kind of grateful for Frank Capra because he saved him from being typecast a little bit because uh, he played Jesus in the silent King of Kings and was sort of typecast in sort of the super good guy roles. So playing someone like Gower was an opportunity he was always thankful for. And yeah, I mean, some of the other names maybe are not as recognizable now, but there, those uh, few that I mentioned there are such key players. Sorry, I was just looking up. Uh, Gloria Graham, what did I see her in recently that um, she's amazing? The Big Heat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lillian Randolph as Annie, I think, is is wonderful. She's very funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that scene with yeah. him and her. It was about time one of you lunkheads said it. Um, <laughs> Did you hear all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. Yeah. And uh, so, okay, so we're we're going into when we're introduced to Jimmy Stewart. It's sort of this light, happy moment that's right after this, you know my ears bleeding scene right you know and he gets this suitcase to travel the world and get out of bedford falls with from mr gower as a gift and there's that's jimmy stewart there's a little bit of that in the the kid moments too Mm. that part of his character oh yeah like when mary says she doesn't like coconuts and he's like don't you know where coconuts come from and he's talking about like all these (laughs) say brainless the thing of like not getting that the girl is indeed yeah (laughs) like come on kid get with it 
but yeah, just the, the heart of his character of um, always being interested in faraway places and wanting to travel. Yeah. yeah. And he always has the same plan. He was like, I'm going to go to college and see what they know. I'll probably in- imitate Jimmy Stewart a little bit too much during this, um, just so you know, <laughs> just before <laughs> war. And then, um, then I'm going to see the world. You know, I'm going to build bridges a mile long and skyscrapers a mile high. And he's essentially going to be Sam Wainwright. Mm-hmm. That is who he wants to be. And that is why Sam is kind of kind of a great foil. You know, he pops up but now you, and then throughout the movie. But you don't movie. hate no, Sam. you don't hate Sam. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> but you understand uh, George's yeah. envy of him. Yeah. That was a good thing, I think, to make not, not make Sam like a, a character that you don't like. He's you, not you a still like him. He's a good guy. Yeah, He's doing good they're, they're he all wants good to guys. Bring everyone in on this on this deal. They're they're all good guys. You just you're just watching it like that should have been George. Yeah. It makes you sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So one of those in between scenes I was talking about that I always sort of glossed over, but I think is a really special scene that really gets to me now, uh, especially as my dad is starting to get older is that conversation that he and George have at the table, uh, he and his father, where George is again saying, you know, I'm I'm getting out of here. You know, he's about ready to go off to college, right? And he says, I want to do something significant. I, do, I think if I stay here, I will just, I'll bust. Yeah. And his father says, you know, I think what we are doing here is significant. But I get it. I understand why you would want to leave. But you would be so good at this, George. You know, you can hear his mm-hmm. heart. He wants him to stay, but he wants his son to be happy. And yeah, uh, it's that's the struggle, right? <laughs> it really is. And then, and then when he says, "Pop, you want to hear a shock? I think you're a great guy." You know, did you hear that, Annie? And it ends it with a joke. <laughs> it has this poignant yeah. <laughs> moment, this deep sort of connection, human connection, and it punctuates the whole scene with a joke. And he does that over and over again throughout the course of the movie. Because otherwise, those moments would be a little bit too hard to take, you know, because <laughs> they're so real. Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of cuts the what was <laughs> referred to in the day even as Capricorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never is, heard that before. Yeah, it's, that's it's amazing. Pretty, it's, it's, it was a very—I don't know who came up with that line, but it's very clever. That's very clever. I like that because there is a—I uh, I know it's sort of always been called that. You know, his movies are schmaltzy and corny, and I don't care. But the thing is, in most cases, and especially in this movie, it really earns it. It really earns yes. those moments, and yeah, it, it's it's just wonderful. They're doing everything. Um, in these scenes to set up what a great guy George mm-hmm. is. I mean, they do that at the beginning with what the, the angels are hearing mm-hmm. all the people that are praying for George. Yes. At the beginning, right at the beginning of the movie, you know, just that kind of lets you know that this is a great guy that, that really everybody loves, for, which yeah. uh-huh, that's really cared for. Um, and just it being Jimmy Stewart oh. is, is a big <laughs> thing too. <Hell> yeah. <laughs> Cause who doesn't love him? Mm. And just, everything that he says and everything that he does and the way he is with people and everybody in his life. Yeah. It's, it's definitely set up as if he is the greatest person in the world, but you still believe it, you know, 
yes, it's very corny the way that it's set up, but you believe it because he does have those moments like that with his father. Yeah, where it's 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 very real. And like he's not, it's, it's not an act that he's putting on. He no. really is this person. He really does care yeah. this much. Yeah, and it's, it's gonna be for me. It's gonna be really hard not to just kind of take each big sequence and just talk about each sequence because each one okay. is just kind of flows right <laughs> into the next. And so we he goes to the his brother's like graduation dance or something like that. Yeah. And so he's always kind of four years behind all his friends. George is, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, his friends all show up and they've all graduated from college. Uh, and this is where he, oh, wow. Will you dance with my kid's sister, Mary? Uh, <laughs> really? And then he sees her and is like, it's Donna Reed. So hell yeah. Donna Reed <laughs> is fucking gorgeous. Oh my God. And, you know, we talked about Karen Allen. I think Woo. having that sort of effervescent uh, glow to her, I think it's very much like Donna Reed. In this movie, uh. they they just have an inner light to them. Yes, that just uh, they. The, oh, it's I get not. Chills. Yeah, that is not really about their looks. It's about yeah. what they radiate. Yes. from them, you can feel it. Yes, yes, and, and yes, they're beautiful, but. It's so enhanced by this inner light that they mm-hmm. have. This was a scene, too, that I just wasn't expecting just how, for how fun it was. The whole thing with the pool. Yeah. <laughs> I did not expect a scene like this in this movie, but I love it. I love the scene where uh, before that, um, before the pool even opens. because they And that, again, that's another situation where they sort of set up this idea. It's like, hey, George, it was such a great idea that you put a pool underneath the, to put the pool underneath <laughs> this floor. Because it saved us from building a whole new building, you know? So it sets up the punchline of the scene early on, <laughs> long before you yep. ever get there. That's one of the things that is just structurally so great about each one of these sequences and vignettes, right? Is there's something early on that sets up how the scene is going to, where it's going to go. It's very Chekhovian. And that's going to lead will. directly into the next It leads into the next, the next sequence. It leads into the next short mm-hmm. story. Here... My gosh, Mary and and George shot in profile. The camera's gliding right with them as they're dancing. They do not take their eyes mm-hmm. off each other for a moment. It is just yeah. this palpable chemistry between these two actors. They are so often shown in these close, kind of almost close-up two shots, you know, of their faces, uh, just looking at each other in profile. Mm-hmm. And those are some of my favorite moments uh, in the movie. Um, and it comes back several times. Yeah. Kind of that thing where like there's nobody else in the room but the two of them. Yeah. And I, I love so I love cute. George's line when he cuts in. It's like, oh, why don't you stop annoying people? Hey. It's like, well, I'm sorry. Hey. 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 <laughs> I love all of that. It's so good. The floor and the pool and the, it, this is all great stuff. I mean, because they can't, yeah. they're dancing. They're just going for it. They don't see that the, that the pool is opened up and they fall in. It's, it, it's, and then eventually everyone starts jumping in, including the principal. And uh, it's it's just <laughs> joyous and fun, and that's it is. that's all that. And but it doesn't feel corny necessarily. It just feels like this is the way that yeah, the way that George turns it into. It seems like he he turns it into a good moment yeah. where it should be like kind of embarrassing. Yeah. What do they do? No, they just start, they start dancing, dancing with each other in the water. In the water, yeah, which makes everybody else, which kind of ruins mm-hmm. the prank on on him. But you know, whatever, and it causes everybody else like, hey, we're just gonna have fun. We're gonna jump in the pool too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 
that's just the kind of guy he is. Like, yeah, that's what you get. That's what I get from that scene too. You mentioned wanting to aspire to be someone like Claire, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, to some extent, I think I think Mary in this movie. Had, I mean, what before the problematic scene? Um, yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, but. <laughs> Throughout the course of the movie, she's she's very much a Claire kind of character. She's in it. You know, she's she's a partner to George. Um, They are 100 percent on the same page with what they do and love. But I see George in a scene like that. And it's like that's kind of the I would aspire to want to be like George in that scene instead of being pissed off that I fell in the water to just take it. and go, This is fun. Let's just make this moment. It already happened. Let's enjoy exactly. it. That would have been, mm. I think, years ago, that totally would have been my reaction. Everyone's laughing at me. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. You know, this is a bad thing. No, it's a, it's a fun thing. Yeah. It, you're just in the water. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you get the sense that people really like George. Yeah. That he is, uh, yeah, they pulled this prank on him, but whatever. You know, the, it's not yeah. out of spite exactly. It's just, no. you know, hey, let's do this. And this scene where they're walking home, you know, and they've got like one of the best scenes. It's in the movie. so oh good. She's got the robe on, <laughs> and he's got you know the the football uniform that doesn't fit. The pants that he's holding. The pants up that the he's time. holding up. <laughs> walking home, singing Buffalo Gals. Off key. Off key. Um, it's like, and it, she is totally dialed into him at this point. Yeah. She's she's like, I know my boundaries. I am perfectly confident with who I am. And I am not going to fall for your tricks, but I'm going to lead you on a little bit. And I love that stuff. It's the interplay between them is so funny and so charming. It's so sweet. Yeah, it's so sweet. And they walk up to the 320 Sycamore, the old house, rundown house. And she's, oh, I love that house. He's like, I wouldn't live there if I was a ghost. Are you kidding me? Look at that house. (laughs) And she, uh, (laughs) you know, if you break some glass, you can make a witch. There's a theory about this movie. And I think it's funny. I don't think it's, it's, it's a fun fan theory is what it is. It's not really anything else. Okay. But the whole idea is that Mary is a witch and she <laughs> has put everything in motion in this movie. So when she says, I'm going to love you till the day I die at the beginning of the movie. Is that a curse and, on yeah. him or something? And then, <laughs> and then when she throws the rock. She puts everything in motion to keep him staying in Bedford Falls for the rest of his life. So no. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's a funny it's a funny little theory. It's sort of like you know the key. Don't the key, don't do Mary like the that. The key party She's better than that. Yeah, I I think what is going really going on, of course, is is much more sweet and and it's just the connection between two people it's that simple and it's so funny it's like because because and again you have the setup he he steps on a piece of her robe and her leg kind of comes out it's like it would have taken the robe off and then a few minutes later she runs off and he is standing on the robe and she comes right out of it (laughs) and so she's (laughs) she's in she's i'm here in the hydrangeas bushes and then there's that whole conversation that i think is so funny it's like this is a very interesting situation. <laughs> yes. It's like, give me back my robe. Man doesn't get into a situation like this very often. It's like, oh, shame on you. It's like, you know, it's like, then I'm going to scream. Maybe I could sell tickets. And, and, and then, you know, he's obviously messing around. It's not anything that's yeah. particularly harmful in that situation because, you know, they, they have sort of this playful thing happening between them. And, mm-hmm. um, but then the car 
holds up and you immediately... well even the whole well the whole like uh lasso the moon lasso the moon yeah line mm-hmm. again it's it's so corny but i don't care it's like and and w- <laughs> what he describes the moon would do it's like what do we do if we get it it's like well we'll swallow it and yeah. it'll dissolve and the moonbeams will shine out come of out it. of your fingers mm-hmm. out of your hair it's like, and it's like it's like why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death Yes. I love that old guy. <laughs> I, he's so funny. It's like, oh, I'll show you some kissing that'll put hair back on your head. I like that moment, too, for, um, I, I can't really describe it. Like You kind of get that from older characters in, in movies. You know, you've seen moments like that in movies where it's like older characters watching younger characters fall in love. And they're like, just fucking go for it and stop playing with each other. You <laughs> yeah. know, I love that attitude they have. Like, just kiss her. You know, you, you both want to just do it. Yeah. Don't waste time is kind of what they're saying i think too they are they are and there's a poignancy to that too because moments later yeah now this is a funny scene that is punctuated by something dark yes you know so it's sort of the opposite of everything else you know we've gone from from you know dark scenes are punctuated with humor humorous scenes are punctuated with dark and here the car pulls up uncle billy um some of the co-workers here father's had a stroke he immediately puts the robe gives a robe to her you know, he's like, the joke's over. And just life pulls him back again, you know, which happens. I mean, that's one of the things that's very much the reality yeah. of this. And then we immediately see that his father's died. I mean, he's wearing the armband and um, yeah. it's, what, four months later. And he's been running the building and loan. And uh, Potter is like, I'm going to, I will put you out of business and I'm going to, I'm going to take it over. You know, I haven't wanted this thing around anyway, right? And even, whatever it is, and even, you know, they do there. Yeah, even Uncle Billy and and you know the others are like, ah, oh, well, whatever. It's all, it's fine. And then George just has that sense of responsibility. It's like he's about to. No, I'm gonna, I'm going. I, I've already put off college for four years, uh, longer than anyone else. I can't do this. But they'll vote with Potter. If you don't. And I think that conversation that he had with his father about the dignity of the work of the building and loan is really key. I mean, that, that's got to be ringing in his head. And it's not just mm-hmm. obligation. It's like, no, I need to stand up against this this force that just wants to rip these people down in this world. Is this the scene where he, I know this is, he kind of goes off on Potter in, in this scene too. But is this one where he's like, because it, it's kind of a comment uh like on the one percent you know versus the rest like you you just want to get rich like all basically what you kind of get from what they do at the building alone is that they've helped the people of this town not have to live in the slums yeah not have to live in a slum it's like well isn't this where he says something to him about like why why should you be all rich like why don't they deserve to at least you know live in two decent rooms live their lives yeah Yeah. i can sorry i couldn't think of like the exact yeah he calls him a warped frustrated old man yeah. And he says, they're not even human beings to you. They're cattle. Yeah. And, you know. And they're they're poor and they're working hard. But why? And if they yeah. have to do that, fine. But why can't they do that in a nice house? Yeah. And that's what we do here. And that's, I like that speech from him. Ugh, yeah. That's it's still true now, you know? Yeah. And, you know, because Frank Capra was well known to be a Republican, to be a conservative, um, to have this mess, these messages in this movie and in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I think surprises people. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he's more of a. He's a Teddy Roosevelt conservative. He's the trust busting conservative, you know. Yes, small business and competition, you know, is how we do this, not greed and 
you know, just hope, uh, greed is good, you know, Gordon Gecko yeah. style, you know, or Henry Potter style of, I guess, conservative um, or, or business person. And so I, I find that it's interesting that he does, he's unafraid to sort of maybe piss off a few people that he would be in party with. You know what I mean? Uh, huh? And I, yeah. I think that's an important distinction, you know, that he's trying to make. It's more of a moderate thing than a ultra conservative thing or whatever. I, I find that an interesting thing. And the movie's not highly political. I, I don't think at all. It's, it's not trying to say anything about one party or the other. It's just trying to say there's a good way to do things and there's a bad way to do things. And, yes. you know, we're going to have <laughs> this little guy who seems insignificant stand up against the evil Scrooge old man. You know, and I think that that's all I'm really bringing up as far as political elements go. But um, I just think it's interesting. And it's good that this is the business that keeps him in because what's happening throughout the whole movie is like he's wanting to leave and things keep, you know, life keeps keeping him there. And it's good that this is what the business is. It's not just something like your dad's like woodworking company or something. You know, I don't know. Like not just like wanting to carry on the legacy of your father, which is part of why he does choose to stay. But it's also because it's helping everybody else in the town. And that's very important to his character. And you really see that as time goes on when you see like them moving the martinis into their home and you see that nice little the little beautiful homes that they've built yeah they're building the little what is it called uh bailey Bailey park yeah as opposed to potter's field which is a which is (laughs) (laughs) it's like why you would name your 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 housing development potter's field is uh pretty dark yeah but but what's interesting is I mean, even from a business standpoint, um, all the houses, they say that all the houses that the building and loan built um, are worth, uh, what, four times what they cost to build, things like that. Uh, so essentially, George at any moment is on the verge of having this ability because i mean he could sell those houses out from under those people and screw them over mm-hmm. you know he could be a, a potter but he chooses not to be because he is at his core a good person who is yep. interested in people and not in money um, as much as he's like i want to be comfortable i i want to i want my kids to have nice clothes i you know i sure. don't want to i want our house to be not big and drafty i want it to be you know all, all those the elements i don't i don't want the null it, post yeah. always come off you know but anyway we're that's way ahead of where we're at but sorry um, yes <laughs> but but also that's why it, i say this it's kind of a miracle this movie works tonally because it does just switch from you know business nuts and bolts to human emotion and from humor to darkness and from reality to fantasy constantly just over and over again i mean we're reminded mm-hmm. every now and then we have this voiceover of the angels talking and it's like oh yeah oh yeah we're we're hearing this from angels i mean it's very it's a tightrope and the fact that this movie works you know narratively is just a testament to how great the script is but also how great capra was at making movies because technically yeah the whole movie does take place on christmas eve Mm -hmm. but the big chunk of the movie is a not really a flashback but it's just it's it's the the angels the angels teaching clarence clarence about about george Mm -hmm. yeah which is kind of which is definitely a weird way to to do things but it it works yeah and you know and then they show you know hey george is still in town 
and his brother has gone off to college and he's coming back and he's like, all right, Harry's going to take over the business. I can finally go. Maybe I don't get college, but at least I can travel. And then, hey, what are the three greatest sounds in the world? You know, anchor trains, plane motors, and train whistles. Yeah. I love that. And I love Uncle that. Billy's like, breakfast is served, lunch is served, dinner. But this moment has one of my favorite moments of acting in any movie ever. Mm-hmm. And you I know, know exactly what I'm talking about. about? Okay. So Harry comes off the train with a lovely young woman who is now his wife. And he's like, Oh, it's like, and he says, well, why did you take him in? It's like, oh, it was purely mercenary. My father offered him a job. And then, you know, they sort of travel off and you just stick on George's face. Yes. And this is where I'm talking about just watching him think. Just watching Jimmy Stewart think in a movie is one of the, some of the most interesting stuff you can put on film. The way his face, his eyes just shifting a little bit. And he walks and then he, he, that smile just sort of slowly comes over his face when he joins the family again. It's like, that is. It's like, he has to switch it on. Yes, switch you know? it on. Yeah. When he's absolutely devastated in this moment. That 10 seconds, if that, is a masterclass in acting. You know exactly what he's thinking. Everything. What he's feeling. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it kills you. And yeah. it's done entirely in this traveling close up. It's masterful. Again, tugging at your heart a little bit about the kind of person that George is, that he's not going to let his brother see how completely shattered he is by this. Yeah, he news. doesn't want to hurt his brother. Because of, because of what it means for him, because he wants, because this is happy news yeah. for his brother. He doesn't want to ruin that. Yeah. Yeah. And be, he doesn't want to be selfish and ruin it in the moment when kind of like everything that he's done up until now, he's kind of earned the right to be a little bit selfish, but mm-hmm. he won't. He has. He has. He has fought the Battle of Bedford Falls, as they say later in the movie, yeah. right? He is home. Taking care of his mother, too, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, they have the welcome home party, and uh, Uncle Billy, which hat is mine, uh, the middle one. Um, Uncle Billy's so funny. Uh, I know he's sort of the reason why everything goes south at the end, but, uh, um, yeah. but he's made to be such a likable character that you don't hate him. By the end of the movie, no. you know, you, you really feel you don't really hate anybody him, in this movie, except for Potter. Potter's the except only Potter, one yeah. that is deserving of our hatred. I mean, even people like the bank examiner, you don't really dislike. They're just doing their job. You know, mm-hmm. they're not vicious where the only vicious character in the movie is Potter. Even Potter's assistants underlings are not particularly dislikable you know one of them even says you know in a few years i'll be working for that young man instead of you Uh, and i i like that a lot but then you have this moment again where jimmy stewart's like i just can't be in the room with all these people dancing around and being crazy and yeah for this one of these rare instances where you see jimmy stewart smoke on screen yeah it lasts that's he yeah he hardly ever smoked on screen that's true yeah and it just sort of (laughs) but it's a perfect moment it just kind of wafts around his face and again it's that watching him think moment and his mother comes out and tells him about mary wanting to see him and he says well doesn't she want to see sam wainwright and she goes that's not what i heard <laughs> you know <laughs> and i love that and he says i love this well yeah. all's fair in love and war and uh, ma bailey says well i don't know about war 
love that so much. Well, because what you're kind of getting from this whole thing with George too is what anybody who has ever wanted to leave their hometown and do better things with their life, you know, quote unquote, better things has probably felt before, you know, I felt that way. I'm still in my hometown. I'm still in the place where I was born. Me too. But I, I went out and I, I tried it. Mm -hmm. I tried living out on my own, tried traveling. It wasn't for me. It doesn't always have to be the end of the world, but you definitely get that feeling of not having accomplished anything by not having ventured out into the world and experienced things or just as as excited as he as we saw him earlier in those scenes about traveling and seeing the world do you definitely feel bad for him for for that and you kind of feel a little i felt a little bit of resentment towards people like towards sam and his brother because they know that about him yeah yeah you know and there's there's still like doing things because maybe because they know he's a good person and that he's gonna stand up but you still kind of want them to be to, to let him go definitely <laughs> but yeah but yeah anybody who's ever wanted to to get out of their hometown and and, and do something can understand what what george is is going through well, right and now. harry's aware you know i mean <laughs> He says to him, "Is like bef- before that shot I was yeah. talking about." He says, "I." Kn- He's saying, "Like I know, I, I know you wanted I, me to take over." Yeah, it's like I never said I didn't say I would take it yet, but you know he's going to, mm-hmm. and George does too. There's a another one of those sort of in between the big scenes moments here with the scene with Violet on the street where he's talking about, "Hey, let's go." hike up to Mount Bedford and um, there's a stream up there and we can go swimming. And uh, she's like, why would I do that? That's great. You know, and and it just kind of people around walk in the mud without my my shoes on. Are you crazy? (laughs) And they're all, they're all laughing at him. This sort of random circle of people forms around him and and starts laughing at him. I think. The kind of thing that only happens in the movies, but it's, um, but it's. I think maybe they were all uh, guys that were interested in Violet. Yeah. I love Violet. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And at the beginning, they said, "Hey, I think I've got a date, but stick around, boys, just in case." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. And She's Violet's amazing. not an unlikable character at all. She's wonderful. No. She's treated with respect, I think, throughout the course of the movie in general, and I like that. It, there's no shaming of her uh, yes. in particular. Potter tries to says, you've been seen around town with Violet Bick. And it's like, yeah, so she's my friend. You know, that's you very yep. much that's very much uh, George's reaction. And I, I like that. Uh, so anyway, the scene at Mary's house is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every scene in sort of the courtship between Mary and George yeah. are some of my favorites. And even after they're married, even though those are a little bit briefer, the, the three main scenes, this one and when she says she's pregnant are just wonderful scenes. <laughs> and he's he's just like, he's walking in, he's cynical, he's, he's, he's mad. mad. Yeah. He's like, I'm here because my mother wants me to be, but he's there because he wants she's, to be. She sets that, what is that? Like she has like, some, she has done some kind of like drawing or painting of George Lasso's the moon, the moon. And she puts that up. That she's she been set planning. out specifically for him to see. And she puts on the record like of Buffalo She's been waiting Gals, for it. Yeah. You know, trying mm-hmm. to spark this memory of this great moment they had years ago. Which he probably only remembers in a bad way because it's led to him. Because it's not only led to his father's death, but led to him still being yeah. here, which place where he never wanted to stay. Yeah. And he's, she's like, you went off to college. Why'd you come back? He says, well, I got homesick. And he goes, homesick? 
for Bedford Falls? She's like, I just belong here. This is where I want to be. And yeah. it's an interesting... Okay. It makes me think a little bit of this... Uh, of like the Bruce Springsteen, yeah, lots of things make me think of Bruce Springsteen. We've got lots of songs, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so he wrote a famous song called Born to Run, which is all about shaking off the dust of this town and getting out. You know, Thunder Road, that whole mm-hmm. album is about that, is about leaving home, getting out of here. And and he's even said in interviews, every... every uh, Thunder Road was very much, or not Thunder Road, but uh, Born to Run was very much about getting away. And every album I've written since then has been about trying to get back home. (laughs) And I think that's profound to this because uh, have Mary, who's just happy wherever she's at, as long as she's with the people she cares about, she's happy and content. Whereas George is always like, I got to get out of here. But there's no guarantee that if that that would make him in any way fulfilled at all. You know, it may make because he would always be there and he doesn't seem to be particularly happy with himself, you know. Um, (laughs) Right. And that is, I think, (laughs) it's kind of a dark undertone to the movie. But I think there's a trueness to that. Um, George always wanting to escape. Yeah, there are people that are happy to finally get out of their hometowns well, of and have and nothing but yeah, disdain for their for hometown it, yeah. yeah but then there are some of us that are kind of homebodies mm, and I'm then not. there's nothing wrong with that yeah. <laughs> either i don't think you know even though it, internally i still feel kind of like a failure sometimes in that regard i've thought that too because i live i literally live 10 minutes away from my parents house the house i grew right, up me too. in <laughs> and and I've never lived more than like 20 minutes away, uh, except for two summer jobs I had. The times I moved out of state, I was only for a few months and I was right back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same with me. So being being home has is, is always been just part of it for me, I guess. And yeah. I've been okay with that, though there have been times where I'm like, if what if I had, you know, taken those risks? But then you yeah, think about it in the context of a movie like this, there are certain things that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So anyway, those are just the kinds of things this movie makes you think about. I know. You know? <laughs> but I... Okay, so they have a fight. <laughs> the, the, and, yeah, because sort of, he's being a jerk. He's being a jerk. And she's and, hurt and, and, by it, obviously. And he kind of... Rightfully. He storms out. She smashes the record. But then she kind of immediately regrets it. He's like, okay. And then the whole thing where he comes back and, forgot my hat. <laughs> and uh, It's good that she had that moment, though, because yeah. not that... So that she wasn't just like the good person that's not bothered by right. anything. Of course she, she of is. Of course she is. She's human. Of course that hurts her. And it also kind of sets up George's temper for later. It takes a lot to get him there, I think, though. I, I This phone call where Sam's on the phone. I, you were talking <laughs> about it beautifully off mic. <laughs> <laughs> so where like it... Uh, I don't even, I have no idea. I still have no idea really what Sam said in that phone call. Something about making him a part of the business mm, or whatever. But plastics. you're really just looking at the two of them. They're just melting uh, into each other. The, their their faces, the way they just, the, the little casual you know, glances, just with their eyes. Mm. He's like smelling her other. hair. Yeah. <laughs> and just the, the, the unsureness. Like, okay, yeah, we just had this fight, but we're still like so close and we still really care. Like, is can this work out with the two of us? You know, are we going to be okay? We just had a fight. Yeah, I still love you. <laughs> you see all of that, I and think. That's what I get. Their chemistry just exudes from the screen. 
I mean, I love that Capra chose to do these close-ups of them because you're so intimate with them as the audience member. It just holds for so long. And he holds it and he lets these two brilliant actors just... I'm getting chills just thinking about this scene again. (laughs) He just drops the phone, grabs her by the shoulders and says, I don't want any ground floors. I don't... I'm not going to get married to anyone ever. And then he's, he's just like, but you you know you are here and you are what i really want more than any of that other stuff is you and i think that you know and then of course it cuts then then again it's punctuated with a joke because the mother her i'm not gonna get married and straight to they're married yeah well to that and also her 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 mother just sort of weeping (laughs) you know is is sort of a funny way to end the scene and then it switches to them getting married here they come (laughs) Oh, I forgot one of the lines that I really liked is when her mom, her mom yells down from the, the top of the stairs, he's making violent love to me. <laughs> I was like, damn, like, Donna Reed. Okay. George Bailey's here, mother. George Bailey. What's he want? <laughs> he's making violent love to me. Oh, man. It's so good. Um, And again, I mean, you move straight from this joyous wedding day thing where they're setting up in the cab. Hey, we've got all this money that we're going to take this grand honeymoon and it's going to be incredible. Travel the world and do all these things that George, even if it's for a week, that George has always wanted to do. Right. They've got what? Five thousand dollars. That's I mean, five thousand dollars in the 19th, late 20s or 30s. It's supposed to be, I think, right around the time of the great depression so maybe like the early 30s or or late 20s he was a kid in 1919 they said is when the yeah so yeah Yeah. how old would he be here after i don't don't, math hard i think he's supposed to be like 25 or something like that okay it's hard i i've never i've never mapped out the timeline um, <laughs> he was 12 in 1919. Yeah. Oh, yeah nice. Again. No, yeah. I'm not doing it. Um, yeah. yeah. That'd be right around that time, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, because I think, because it goes, it sets up the whole thing with the money again, right? And then, hey, don't look now, but that looks like a run. And so Ernie, the uh, cab driver, says that. I love that uh, the cop and the cabbie are best friends and their names are Bert and Ernie. <laughs> They are. <laughs> yeah, they. That was actually there. There's a part where they actually say Bert, Ernie. <laughs> they those characters were actually named after these characters from this movie. So uh, that's kind of a cool thing because Jim Henson, you know, sweet. was a was a fan of of old classic cinema. I love yeah. That. But anyway, uh, this whole thing, I mean, this is a little bit, again, that business nuts and bolts, you know, uh, this is how the building and loan works. You know, you invest. And Mary has that line. Yeah. Well, Mary has that line right before, like, don't stop, George, let's just keep going. Just another one of those life moments, like, where if he had done this, it would have been completely different than what he chose to do. And ultimately, you kind of realize that maybe he made the right decision. Yeah, because the building and loan would have been shut down. And not just for that, but just for what? It would have been bought out by Potter. (laughs) The whole movie means... Yeah, it does. We'll get to that. Yeah, but I think what happens here, I mean, like I said, there's this sort of nuts and bolts of, you know, your money is in this other person, went into building this person's house and it's an investment. And, you know, I don't have the money in a safe. It's not a bank. They want to take all their money out of the business and they have to still have some money by the end of the day yeah. or else the building will be shut down. Yeah, or they'll be That's out of business. what I got from that. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you close your doors... But these people, be- these people before... keep coming to them yeah. asking for their money and he gives mm-hmm. them the wedding money. That's right. 
And well, what happens is, you know, Mary comes in and says, how much do you need? And George, and this is the moment, I think, where Mary gets it. She joins in on the partnership of the building and loan, not just Mm -hmm. with this marriage to this man, right? It's a whole life joining. And I think Mary being as pure of heart as George is, I mean, there's no question that this is going to be her reaction. This is going to be her, how she does. And she doesn't even flinch when George just says, yeah, that's right. We got $5,000 here. You know, yeah. they don't even skip. They don't even miss a beat. Not a, that's our money. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. None of that. It, it's, they don't miss a beat. They just do it. Some people might argue that that's foolish and that's fine. Now you can think that uh, there's no problem with the movie doesn't have a problem with you disagreeing with it. I don't think, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in some of those moments, it's like, shouldn't they have just taken mm-hmm. care of themselves, done something for themselves? Well, maybe, maybe hindsight is 2020. That's right. <laughs> when you get to the end of the day and they have the, the mama dollar and the papa dollar and they're just sort of exuberant and joyous that they made it through the end of the day. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm married. You know, it's like he can, he was so yeah. involved in what he was doing. I kind of want to talk to Mrs. Bailey. Oh, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Bailey's on the phone. I don't want to talk to Mrs. Bailey. I want to talk to my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, again, scenes like this are just the comic timing, but also just the emotive resonance, emotional resonance that he provides. Just, again, proving why Jimmy Stewart was one of the greatest screen actors of mm. any of them of all time. And he was a real actor. I mean, he really he didn't just cultivate the persona. Yes, he had the he had the he talked in a distinctive way and like all of them did in that time. Right. But yeah. he was also really an actor, you know, <laughs> uh, whereas many of these people were movie stars, which is great. I, I love, you know, John Wayne movies and stuff like that. But he was a movie star. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Stewart was an actor and one of the greats, really, truly. That that whole scene of just going to the house and uh, oh, dude! <laughs> Again, just this movie just like melts you and everything, every turn. And there's it such makes funny moments of that. He walks in there and he sort of looks over and he sees the bed is made and ready. And you know, it's 1946. It's one bed and they're and it's like it's definitely implying something. Well, it's like well, of course they're married. <laughs> The way it works. Um, but, um, well, earlier, the way I was implying that she was naked in the hydrogen bushes. I know. Yeah. Um, but I love all that. And then, you know, this is what I wished for. And then the, the record ends and the guys start singing, I love you truly outside in the rain. It's, I mean, it's just wonderful. It's, it's I know. So, everything <laughs> about it is just makes me happy. It makes my heart swell. It makes my Grinch's heart grow three sizes when I watch this movie. <laughs> There's a line from actually one of my favorite Christmas movies, The Holiday, mm-hmm. that I always think of with stuff like this. And she's talking about um, old movies being a little bit corny like mm-hmm. that, you know? And she has a line, uh, Kate uh, Winslet this time. It actually was Kate Winslet, not Kate Hudson. <laughs> has a line that says, um, I like corny. I need a little bit of corny. I'm looking for a little bit of corny in my life or something like that. Yeah. I always think about that line because when you find yourself enjoying things like this, you kind of feel like uh, that's kind of like manipulative mm. trying to tug at my heartstrings. But you know what? Fuck it. If it makes you, it makes me feel good sometimes I, when I need feeling the feeling this kind of corny yeah. stuff is like it. it's really it really works when you're in a certain mood, you know, <laughs> sometimes I say to myself with current movies, have we become so cynical 
that yeah. we can't just let ourselves feel sometimes. Yeah. You know, and That's for I me, mean, yeah. I, I know a lot of people have legitimate problems with Ghostbusters the afterlife. But the fact, the way that movie made me feel with the section by the end was, I know you haven't seen it, so I don't want to spoil it, but it really moved me. And mm-hmm. I was okay with that. You know, I didn't need to be so cynical and so, so guarded that I couldn't let myself feel. In that moment, yes. you know, that's exactly what I get from from movies yeah. like this. And so I I'm great with, you know, sort of these reality bound things. But sometimes you just want to look into a world where maybe things do manipulate you a little make you feel something. I think Capra and, you know, even Spielberg in something like E.T. or something like that. These are really well crafted movies that make you feel yes and that's okay i promise it's okay it and is. so i it think really is. <laughs> being open to that is a good thing yeah so anyway enough of my soapbox there on that one no that's exactly what i was saying yeah. like uh, you've, even if you feel a little bit cynical sometimes in your real life and like uh work sucks and this sucks and you're watching this movie that is i think the reputation of it is that it is very small schmaltzy and, and corny but really allowing yourself to yeah to to watch it and and really feel it what's wrong with that like it's if it's coming from a place of of truth inside you that's right that's a good feeling to have for sure now one of the things i like about the mary george partnership it kind of shifts forward several of some period of time in the scene where they're moving martini and his family into their house they pack them all into their car um sort of this jolt including goats. yeah this uh including a goat into this jalopy that they have and they drive them out there and george says to mary he notices sam is there and he says sam wainwright and mary says oh who cares I love that moment because it's <laughs> yeah. like Mary could have had the nice car he's sitting in. She could have been wearing the fur and the jewels and the dress that Sam's wife is wearing. Are they talking about traveling somewhere? Yeah, too? they are. And it's like, yeah. and even even if they had decided to get in on the ground floor of that plastics business that he created, they could have uh, this just the two of them as well but they decided not to and instead mm-hmm. they are giving you know wine and welcoming and the salt and the you know the bread i love that home. i thought that was that that's a great sentiment yeah. you know like the salt so that life always has flavor yeah. or something the bread so you'll <laughs> never go hun- hungry and wine yeah, so, so home for will never know hunger yeah mm-hmm. it's a beautiful scene and it's something that uh, when he goes to Potter in the in the next scene is it kind of comes back. It's interesting, but um, there's another one of those quiet moments. Sam and his wife drive off in their <laughs> rolls or whatever they're driving, <laughs> and George and Mary just walk back towards their car silently. Both of them, mm-hmm. both of them have that facial expression that we're seeing from a distance this time and George just goes over and just kicks the door of the car closed I love that it because I mean it's everything you need to know Mm -hmm. again it's just like uh, knowing what the movie is leading up to is just like everything is just building building Mm -hmm. you're just really feeling for George this time and here he's given you know the Faustian bargain by Potter says I'll hire you You know, you will make, you'll travel to New York once in a while, maybe Europe every now and then. Make $20,000 a year. Yeah. I mean, which at this time is massive. 
Um, huh? It's probably a good, you know, six-figure salary today. Potter is telling him is essentially true. He's saying you're smart, you're ambitious, you have the keys to be successful. But instead, he says something like, instead you're playing host to a bunch of garlic eaters. He uses that term, the sort of this derogatory term, because a lot of the, because this was a time when Italian Americans were very disrespected and were uh, considered Mm -hmm. to be beneath uh, American culture, which is uh, interesting, you know. But then again, you, he, he says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Of course. He's like, and he's like, God damn it. I want to yeah. so bad. You know, <laughs> you yeah. can see that in everything that he's doing in that scene. He goes, then he yells at the other guy that goes he's for like, you. I'm pissed too. off that I'm a good person. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And then again, it's punctuating that serious scene with a joke and he opens the door and that goes for you too. <laughs> you know, I love all of that stuff. And I, that way it just swings you from these serious moments to these funny moments. And then he goes home. This is, this is that other scene with Mary that I just love. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably where he walks and he's hearing all these things in his head. You know, I'm going to see the world, you know, Hey, yep. I could have mm-hmm. done this. You want the moon? I can't give you the moon, is what he's thinking. Yes, you can, George, just not the way you're thinking. And then she, she, she <laughs> yeah. starts singing Buffalo Gals in the, while she's laying in the bed, you know, and he goes over and he scandalously lays in the same bed with her. Oh in 1946, this would have been a big deal. Um, but he, sa- he says, Mary, why did you marry me? She says, I wanted my baby to look like you. Oh, isn't that so? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't remember that far. Um, She says, "Besides, I want I I wanted my baby to look like you." And he says, "And he goes, what? what, Are you are you on the nest? (laughs) Because I couldn't say pregnant in a movie at that time." (laughs) Oh wow! Yeah. So he says, "Are you on the nest?" I think that is one of the funniest lines, and the way he delivers it is so funny too. It says, "George Bailey Lasso Stork." What? What is it? A boy or a girl? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of them, sure. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of have this, then now it, it really starts, it kind of goes in warp speed here. Um, yeah. <laughs> and where, you know, we have four kids later, you know, it goes it goes through, you know, just what happened in this montage. She's making the house nicer and nicer every yeah. day. Um, she had a baby, then she had another baby, she has, she's working in the house. Yeah, she's working in the house. Uh, the war comes along. All of these people went off to war, you know, Ernie the cop, you know, and I got that backwards. Bert the cop, Ernie the cabbie were yeah. war heroes. Um, someone helped capture a bridge. Ma Bailey was, was and, and Andy, they were sewing uniforms and, you know, working for the Red Cross. And Mary was working for the U.S., was volunteering for the USO and heading up the USO in, in town. And, and uh, <laughs> George was, oversaw the scrap drive and was um you know because he because of his ear he was 4f so he was home and but then his brother harry you know shot down enemy planes that could have killed uh whole transports full of troops of soldiers so i mean it's just like goes warp speed right to to where we're heading and a lot of people say this movie is only nominally a Christmas movie because not much of it takes place on uh Christmas Eve well I actually paused it here for the first time just to check you know, where are we at in this movie? The Christmas Eve scene starts at one hour and 16 minutes. Okay. The movie is two hours and 10 minutes long. So 
almost yep. half of it takes place. I mean, technically the whole thing takes place on Christmas Eve, Christmas but Eve, yes. <laughs> showing Christmas Eve, just that final day and the angels section is half the movie. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a significant portion of the film. And ironically, this movie opened wide after Christmas. <laughs> it wasn't even a Christmas movie. I, I looked it up. I looked it up. It was it was set. It was late in the year, so that it would be a its New York its New York premiere was on twentieth of December of nineteen forty six. Okay. Then in L.A. on the on the twenty fourth, and then it opened in Minneapolis on the twenty seventh. Um, so well, that's close yeah, enough. I guess. So, <laughs> but, but then it didn't really go to a wide audience until Christmas was over, which might be it went into like into nineteen forty seven. Which it makes me wonder if that's why one of the reasons why the movie didn't do super great at the box office. It was nominated for some Oscars. I mean, it was not the flop that people say it was. It was a nominal success, not a big success, especially compared to Capra's other stuff. It was considered a box office failure because it didn't make as much money as Capra movies usually did. But you know how that goes. That that we hear that same story now. This big director's movie didn't do well, so it's considered a flop. You know, it's like the last <laughs> duel this year or something like that. But uh, so anyway, that's the side note. But this movie is a Christmas movie. Thank you very much. Yes, more than is. half of it takes place either in snow or on Christmas Eve. Anywho, uh, so we are on uh, to the. Um, really dark stuff this is where you know we are you know uncle billy um for is going to deposit harry okay the whole thing is harry bailey's coming home yeah from the war because this movie was filmed right after the end of the war and apparently one of the reasons why capra really wanted to make this movie quickly was because and this is speculation a little bit i sort of rumor a little bit so jimmy stewart fought in combat in world war ii he was one of the movie stars that actually saw combat uh, Jimmy Stewart actually was a flyer and he saw a lot as soldiers do. And when he came back and Capra started talking about this movie, cause Capra, you know, was part of the film core of in world war two. So he saw battle, but he was behind the camera for much of it. And he just saw this darkness in Stewart's eyes. But he was also a credibly resilient person and was readjusting well. And he wanted to shoot this before that look was gone, (laughs) apparently. And you can see that in, I know that's, it's kind of dark to say it, but it's, but, but you can see that in Stewart and you can really see the difference between the post-war Jimmy Stewart and the pre-war Jimmy Stewart. Because I mean, like the, the Anthony Mann Westerns, Mm -hmm. he's got that dark look, all the Hitchcock films he's, he's got, he's going somewhere um, deeper uh, and darker with all those movies. And then of course the Preminger movies (laughs) or movie, at least um, he's really dealing with things. And I think that this is not just a Christmas movie. It's a post-war movie. I mean, it's, Got some elements in it that almost feel noir, uh, set in a small town. I hadn't thought about all of that. I didn't know that about Jimmy Stewart, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually a, a, a war hero. I mean, like, legitimate war hero. So anyway, all this stuff, uh, you know, so he starts this sequence out, you know, joyous. You know, my brother, the hero, is coming home. We are doing okay in our business, though. Potter is really tightening the screws on us because I 
pissed him off, right? The bank examiner shows up. He's about to, and Uncle Billy is about to uh, deposit the days or weeks receipts into the bank. And it's been set up throughout the movie that he's forgetful. (laughs) And so while he's uh, rubbing it all in Potter's face about Harry Bailey, the hero, he accidentally wraps the money up in Potter's newspaper and forgets about it. And, and you don't necessarily know the depth of it, but again, you can see just in George's reaction to it all, how big of a deal this is. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. Um, it's like, this means jail and scandal and prison, you know? And it's like, someone's going to jail. And it's not going to be me. And he's like, you know, roughing up uncle Billy in that scene. It's, it's a little scary, yeah. you know? And you understand uncle Billy's reaction He's got all those animals in the house and the squirrel crawls up on his arm and he's, he's weeping on his desk and <laughs> the little squirrel climbs up on his, <laughs> the on squirrel his arm. squirrel kills me. Touches like that I love about this. Yeah. And again, this is just everything building up for George yeah. slowly over the years. Now, I got to say this scene at the house, boy, that can really hit home uh, for yeah. me as someone who has, I have three children. And you have a bad day and sometimes take it out on family without intentionally about it being intentional. But the way this scene builds is, you know, he's walking in, they're all trimming the tree and excited for Christmas and playing the piano, practicing angels. We have or hark the herald over and over again. How do you spell frankincense? You know, (laughs) and and, (laughs) um, I love Tommy. He's like pulling on his arm. Excuse me. He's like, and he's while he's trying to talk to Mary. Excuse me. We we quote this all the time at home. Excuse <laughs> me. W- what do you want? Excuse you for what? I burped. You know. I, burped. <laughs> I love that yes. part. We do that all the time around the house. But then the, he finds out Zuzu's sick as his daughter, and he goes up, and that scene is so sweet. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I you the the petals fall off and. Oh, Daddy, paste. I want to get my flower a drink. I want to get my flower a drink. Oh, Daddy, paste it. And he's yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. He kind of turns and he sneaks the petals into <laughs> his pocket. And, and that's important. And puts the uh, the rose in, into the into the water. It's like, no, no, go to sleep. Go to sleep. It's like, you can dream about whole gardens. It's a sweet yeah. moment. It's so sweet. But then... You know, going downstairs and and the phone rings and it's the teacher calling in to check on her on Zuzu and and Mary's like, because oh she'll be okay she'll be fine and and George is like you stupid you know just yelling at her just and I feel that from the teacher side too you know <laughs> sure and then um and also also just kind of watching um Mary in the scene too oh, Mary's great because she's great she's they're in the same situation you know the parent dealing with all these noisy kids and she's just handling it like (laughs) i don't want to say she's handling it better but she's just she's being very sweet very attentive to all of them you know and she's she's just so good and also when he's sitting in the chair and tommy climbs up on his lap putting the tinsel and put starts putting the tinsel on his head and the look on his face i mean he's obviously he's been crying it's clear that he's been crying. He's got these huge circles under his eyes. He just looks like he grew a five o'clock shadow in, you know, the 10 minutes yeah. between, <laughs> between Gnome and, uh, anyway, yeah. he, he just looks so haggard and so run down and he just grabs Tommy and just hugs him so hard. Yes. And Mary's like, something's wrong. 
She she knows that something's wrong. Oh yeah. Then she looks so concerned for him yeah. in that moment because at the beginning of the the movie, like what do the angels say about um you know all the people that are praying for George in this moment? They're saying oh that the angels are saying that he's discouraged. Like no, he's depressed. Like I guess they couldn't say. Yeah. They didn't want to say depressed or they don't talk about depression. Like that's no, what. But that's what you see here. That's what he's in. And I don't know if depression was necessarily the language that was used at the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, uh, I'm doubtful of it. It just wasn't that kind of awareness of mm-hmm. mental illness at the time. Though I'm sure it was just as prevalent then as it is now. In some ways, I think there are certain things nowadays that have compounded the issues. But um, every season, every period of life on Earth has been difficult, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For different <laughs> reasons, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, she looks, she looks scared. She does I look think, scared. Too. And the part where he comes in and he just starts and he just yells at the kids is like, Tommy, stop it. Stop. Haven't you finished that? Learn that silly tune yet? And so what do you think I am? A dictionary? Just stop it. Stop it. And he goes over and just smashes all his models that he had built of the Mm -hmm. bridges and stuff. He has his little work corner. That one little corner of the house where he can dream. Yeah. You know, that's what I saw that as. And he's got pictures of his family up there on the wall. I mean, it's just kind of like, uh, I've I've got a little corner. I've got that corner in yeah. my house where my model stuff is set up and my painting stuff and it's usually not touched <laughs> because I'm busy doing other things, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you, you like to have it <laughs> <laughs> and you're not, you understand George in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Temper. And you're, but you also understand the family being very scared of daddy in the moment, which is again, that really that gets to you. <laughs> and what is the first thing he tries to do after he comes to his senses is he tries to take it back. He tries to take it back. You know, keep playing. Keep practicing. What, what did like, you want to know? What, what were you like, asking me again? Ask, yeah. yeah. Oh. oh, and the thing is, the thing is, I've I've had instances with my own children and with my students where it's like I just momentarily just went, you know, just that snap. Of, and and immediately my reaction is I want to take it back. Yeah. But you can't. I mean it's it's out there. You can't take it back. And that is just the devastating element of that scene. And I know we've all experienced something like that at some point. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to take that back, but I I can't. It's too late. All I can do is fix it from trying to better from now on. But you know that moment's gone. And I think there's a that's what makes that scene so incredibly poignant. Yeah. Um, that just kills me. <laughs> it kills me. That scene That scene is, for me, the that's the most challenging scene in the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Every time I see it, it just rips my heart out. Because you can see it, and the way Capra films it, you can, and the way all the actors play it, you can see everyone's perspective. Mm-hmm. You yeah. get everyone's reaction. That first time that you see yeah. Daddy mad. You know, I don't remember ever having like a moment like that with either of my parents. Mm-hmm. You can, it, it, it's, a, it's a kid trying to understand like what's going on. What did I do wrong? You know, I don't, yeah. why did I make Daddy mad? I'm sorry for what I did. You know, it's that just kills you because you know that's what they're thinking. It's, it's not their fault at all. And that's their reaction too. The kids mm-hmm. are not, they're like, what's wrong? They're not like, oh, I hate dad. No. You know? Yeah. It's like, should I pray for him, mommy? Yes, pray very hard. Me too? Yeah. You too, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that is one of the prayers that starts it at the beginning is one of his kids. Something's wrong with daddy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and it's very touching. It's very touching. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 
I know we're I know we're going long in this episode. I know. But <laughs> I'm looking at our time counter, going, "Wow, this." I'm is not a even. Long I run. haven't even no. I haven't yeah. even looked. But I mean, but I think this is all important for, for this movie. I think you know, like I've like I said over and over again, like there's a lot more to this movie than just what is known on the surface. You know, like by most people, yeah. and I think it's important to talk about because it's a it's an important movie. The fact that in the next scene he goes back to Potter, I just shows his desperation because mm-hmm. he's like. I, 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 this is what happened. I, I had the money. I don't know where it's gone. Another reason why you hate Potter because he knows Another, exactly knows. what happened. He knows exactly mm. what happened because they found the money earlier. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you lost some money. Oh. And then he's like, he talks about the life insurance policy. You're worth more dead, dead uh, now than alive. I mean, this is just that scene is, I mean, for him to humble himself to the point where he would go to Potter is. And take the blame. And take the blame. Is really, it's like, you know, Potter, you were right. Maybe I should have taken the job when you offered it. Yeah, you once called me a warp frustrated old man. Well, I say you're a warp frustrated young man. You, this is your own doing, man. And it's, it's just horrible. Yeah. Every line in this movie, like you're repeating all these lines. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. like oh, that's like the only reaction I can have is just because it just it gets it gets to me. It got to be a lot <laughs> the first time I saw it and this time, yeah. So I'm just I found myself. I'm not having anything profound to, to say. I'm sorry. I'm just no, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> You're doing great. One of the things that I found this time through, I just anticipation of scenes coming up made mm-hmm. me want to cry. Yeah. I, I was just starting to I was starting to get choked up in the scene where um, they're sliding down the the snowy hill at the beginning on the shovels. I was it's like, why am I feeling this right now? As well, it was kind of in anticipation of the whole thing with Gower. And then yeah. all those everything, it just keeps going and keeps going And this bar scene. You see how much Nick and Mart, uh, I know his name is Martine, but he goes by Martini, just caring for him, coming in and saying, why don't you go home, George? You know, you've had more to drink than you ever have. And he has this whole thing where he's it's like, God, I, I, I'm not a praying man, but mm-hmm. if there's a way out of this, help me, please. You get the impression that they've never... They've never seen him like this before. Mm-mm. Yeah, which is what leads to all those that praying for him. You know that you hear at the beginning too. Yeah, because everybody can tell just that something's wrong. Yeah, and you know <laughs> that when he gets uh, they the other patron hears his name and it turns out to be the teacher's yes. husband <laughs> and he punches him in the face. Uh, that's what I get for praying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, which is a legitimate reaction for sure. Um, but then just that scene at the bridge where he just walks down to the bridge, he crashes the car first into the, into the tree, uh, put a big old gash in my tree. It's one of the oldest trees in Bedford Falls. Um, yeah. And he just walks away from it. He just walks away. Um, standing at the bridge, he's, now this is always, uh, interesting because it just has this quick shot of Clarence just sitting there. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh Yeah. Who's this? We ha- we haven't seen Clarence yet. We don't know yeah. who he is. It's like who's this guy? He was in the Invisible Man, but that's all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Henry Travers is wonderful. But anyway, uh, he's about to jump in the river, but then Clarence jumps in ahead of him, and because Clarence knows George by this point, right? Yes. He knows George as much as we do, and he knows how George is going to react to someone being in trouble. 
So instead of jumping in to kill himself, he jumps in instead, <laughs> takes off his jacket, jumps in to save this guy. And that's just a testament to uh, how well they knew this character of George Bailey. Yeah. You know, that he is essentially doing the same act. It just gives it a completely different meaning when he's going in to save someone else. Now, it's, this movie has been really dark for a while now. And I think it's important because I think the fantasy sequence works because now we're in we're in bizarro land now we're in we're in this world of depending on your background you may or may you may or may not believe in angels you may or may not believe in any kind of spiritual dimension or whatever and that's fine but we are in this world now where angels exist and guardian (laughs) angels exist and they have human forms and angel as2 as2 and they have to earn wings and all these kinds of different procedural things (laughs) (laughs) but i think because of the shifts early in the throughout the film of just between humor and darkness and when this is like the darkest point yeah this was the darkest point in the movie and it's been that way for a while and it's like it's funny now You've got this little goofy thing on the soundtrack where every time Clarence comes on, it plays a little touch of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. But I think because the Christmas Eve scenes go so dark, we are like ready for something a little funnier by this point again. And we're like, okay. And it comes at just the right time. I think the timing of this movie is just kind of impeccable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the pacing is I, this. I've called this a masterclass in acting already, but it's kind of a masterclass in editing and pacing too. It's still, even though, yeah, it is kind of funny with Clarence. Like this, the, the whole thing is, is still pretty dark to me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 again, but it's the darkness punctuated with humor. Because I mean, one that's that wasn't what idea. I was focusing on when I was when I was first watching it. Yeah. And this is an interesting scene when they're in that, I guess, the little shack of the guy who sort of oversees the bridge or whatever. He says, so you still think that killing yourself will make everyone feel better? And then George says, yeah, I guess you're right. I just wish I'd never been born. So he kind of takes it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because as I was watching this or around the time I was watching this, I was seeing someone tweeting is like saying basically that. Life is so hard, maybe it's better if more people weren't born or if I wasn't born. I've had to fight my whole life. There's so much suffering. I think it's maybe a thought that, I mean, this is not an original thought, the I wish I'd never been born idea. I think it's it's powerful because it's not unique to one person. It's something that a lot of people have, I'm sure, including myself, have thought at one time or another that the world would be better off if I wasn't in it. That's, I think, the power of the last section of the movie. Mm -hmm. What is the ripple effect of your existence, if you think about it? And it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, in the course of the movie, in the movie world, we can watch George and we can see that ripple effect happen. But even looking at our own lives it's hard to see that <laughs> Some, yeah. you know and i think that's kind of the point of george not being able to see it or just um looking at killing yourself as the very permanent solution to as i say you know a permanent solution to a temporary problem which is not really 
temporary when you're going through something very serious like um like i said i first watched this three years ago yeah Yeah, 2018 when i was pretty pretty dark (laughs) into my uh my depression about certain things from my past you know that i never wanted to the the, i definitely yes i considered uh suicide a lot (laughs) just because i never wanted to think about certain things (laughs) again you know I didn't yeah. I couldn't see it in that moment like ever getting out of that ever ever feeling better and so uh, when I watched this it was <laughs> that's why it really got to me because I was like I probably was not too far removed from having those thoughts you know myself at that time oh, yeah. I had thought that mm-hmm. probably the week before you know because it, it would come sure. up over and over again that's why that's movie <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. how else to say it. I, like, well I mean there it for a movie like this a Capra film to really, to really deal with suicidal ideation mm-hmm. in a time when they weren't really even using that terminology yeah. is really powerful. I, I think that, I mean, they even kind of make a joke about it. It's like, it's against the law to commit suicide <laughs> around here. It's like, it is where I come from too. Um, it's, but it doesn't handle the it doesn't handle it flippantly. No. It really does take seriously this idea of him ending it all. And Capra did it again in a movie called Meet John Doe, which doesn't work quite as well as this movie, but is really, really good. And I, it's one I would recommend to people to see. But um, in fact, this wasn't going to be my recommendation, but, you know, it's worth <laughs> mentioning is, is Capra's movie Meet John Doe. Uh, Gary Cooper's in it but he dealt with it deeply in that movie too so I think just I don't know I don't know what else to say on that it's certainly a place I've been to and so I hope people can maybe hear this and think and realize you know hey you're not alone first of all in having these feelings but also that yeah you do make a difference to people whether you think you do or not i still can't believe that (laughs) half the time (laughs) i know and you (laughs) texted me one time you would miss me if i was gone and i was like what kind of question is that of course i would of course i would yeah you know i think people and i think having someone like a george bailey represent all that is powerful because he is a person that by the world standards of the world is insignificant you know he helps people build a few houses he has some kids he has a wife but he's so incredibly ordinary yeah you know (laughs) but he does matter everything that he thinks is insignificant has had an effect and his father understood that and george just had never been able to get it into his mind exactly yeah yeah sorry <laughs> no that's okay anyway so this last uh, this sequence this whole idea of seeing the world um as though if you had never been born if you were not in it clarence says you know you've been given a great gift george a chance to see what the world would be like without you you really had a wonderful life you know that's of course where the title comes <laughs> yeah. from yeah and I don't know if we need to hit every beat of this, but, you know, um, Gower got convicted for poisoning the kid and he's totally ostracized by the town and has become a drunk. Potter has taken over the entire town. That whole thing reminds me of that sequence in Back to the Future 2 where they go to yeah. Biff's, Biff's <laughs> reality, you know. I think that's a direct 
allusion to this movie too. You know, it's kind of a swing in town, and a lot of people yeah. might 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 dig uh, Bedford Falls like that. Which you know, hey, that's cool. The point is that Potter has taken over everything, and people are living in these slums and can't afford to really live, and they're they can't have their own businesses and thrive the way they'd like to. It's sort of this idea that George was the last thing that was stopping this from happening. <laughs> yep. My one problem with the movie is I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. There's, it's not even really uh, be, that big before, of a problem. Before we get but. to that, can I can I tell you there's a, there's one more shot of this movie. There's a part where he goes and he talks to his mother, or he tries his he tries to talk to Mrs. Bailey. And he says, "Where's Uncle Billy?" He says, "Uncle Billy, he's been up in the insane asylum since he lost his business." You know, and she's just so bitter because her son is dead, and her her only son is dead in the war, right? Or he, or actually, he was dead because George wasn't there to save him because he broke through That's the right, white yeah. ice yeah, and yeah. died. I mean, so even before that. And there's this close-up after that. He just runs out to the street, and it shows him just, it's a close-up of him, and he just turns his head slowly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like half his face is in black, and he just looks directly at the, at the audience for a moment. Then it cuts to Clarence, then it shows him turning the rest of the way. That shot is so haunting. It's one of my favorite shots in all of movies, honestly. And again, it's that moment of being able to read everything on George's face. And then, you know, he goes to the graveyard. He sees, he goes to quote unquote Bailey Park, which is (laughs) a graveyard. And he sees uh, his brother's gravestone. um, And then we come to what is really sort of the dumb part of the movie. This is dumb. (laughs) Okay. I don't think I noticed this the first time, but it made me so mad this time. (laughs) Well, it's, it's not a good reason. It's it's not true. Okay. So Mary's what happened to Mary? Oh, she's an old maid. She's just about to close up the library. She never got married. And, And it's like, okay, with Mary that we know that's kind of like, so what? Yeah. She would have been George Bailey. She would have taken, she would have said, oh, well, I'm going to stand up against Potter. I'm going to be the person who, what we know of Mary, this is not true to her character. No, it's not. That she would be just not have any spark left at all. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have her spark because she knew George, you know? Sure. Yeah. She already true. had it. That's not, it's not fair to her. Yeah. I mean, she has this family and this life with George. But it's not her being Mary uh, Hatch is not dependent upon George Bailey. No. And so that's one of the things I I mean, this is the biggest criticism people always give this movie and is a fair one. Yes. Not only against her character, but against anybody who's not married, any woman who's not married. I know, like, I what know. the hell? What does that mean that we're it's, like just frumpy, no. unattractive people who can only work at the libraries and or well, act and all scared? You, and people, no, <laughs> like the thing is, you. you even see that earlier. You see in Ma Bailey, even when she's a widow, she is full of life. She is full yeah. of spark. You know, because it's not. Because she's unmarried, that she's, and then you know, also Violet, Annie. Violet is the opposite of a married yeah. woman, basically the way that they mm-hmm. can probably say what they, the town thinks of her at this right. time. But George doesn't and let them. No, do that, yeah, yeah. Of, to her, she's full of life, and she's the best. I love yeah. her. And so I think that is the one thing in the movie that really doesn't work. What I think would have been far more interesting 
is it if makes she us had feel married. Bad about yeah, I know they had this, never been married. Sorry. <laughs> they had to sort of condense it into some of into this. What if I think would have been much more interesting is if she had married Sam, gotten rich, hated it, mm-hmm. <laughs> divorced, and fallen into cynicism. Becomes someone like Claire is at the end of and her future of, of Scrooged sequence. in yeah. the future scene of Scrooged. Yeah, I think that would have been so much more interesting. But it was it was just kind of like you know we got to do something, <laughs> and this was it, and it has to take place in a very short amount of time. Yeah, and it just it just doesn't feel good to the movie, yeah. and that to be the thing that finally sent gives him the redemption moment. Seeing her and having her be be um, afraid of him and sort of the shrinking violet, yeah, <laughs> is the thing that does it. It's just I don't know. It just I don't like that part. <laughs> it, that's the one. That's the one thing in the movie that I really dislike. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I think this movie is perfect. But that uh, that one moment is just sort of like, eh, okay, you just laugh it off and you move on, I guess, because you can't do anything about it. But <laughs> <laughs> old maid, I'm an, am I an old maid, Brian? No, I think the thing that bothers me the most about it is just so not true to her character. Yeah, this is the I've got five thousand dollars. How much do you need? This is the I'm going to turn this house into a beautiful home. That's Mary. This is not Mary Bailey. I mean, obviously, the fact that he doesn't recognize her as who she is is key, but it really doesn't have anything to do with him. (laughs) That's the problem. He's a good influence on other people. Yes, of course. But he is not their only reason for being. (laughs) No, definitely not Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Mary would have lived a good life without him, but not maybe not as full because they really are part a partnership and it's a beautiful marriage that they have. And, you know, these wonderful children that they have, these sweet children. But then, you know, boy, you get out to him is like, you know, the snow has stopped. He's at the bridge again. He's like, I want to live again. I want to live again. And let me live again. And it starts snowing again. Hey, George, where you been? It's like, Bert, do you know me? You know? Yeah. Um, and the, what do you know about that Merry Christmas? And then this is, you know, the being punched in the face with sunshine uh, till the end of the movie. <laughs> right. But, but for me, cool. this I'm cool works. I'm cool with it. Yeah. To me, this is just like joyous and in the best possible way. Because this, this is one of those happy endings that is so earned um, because of everything we've experienced up to this point. And they've set it up well to where yeah. it's believable. It's not so over the top. Right. You know, but what I'm talking about mainly is that the, the whole town basically comes together to for him. Yeah, you totally believe all that. Totally. And also, we've seen George happy. Mm-hmm. We've seen George really exuberant before in this movie so it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere he's getting um, it he's getting something back that he's he, getting had, it back. he had before that he yeah. lost so we could call this movie how george bailey got his groove back no you did <laughs> i did that uh, sorry ouch man anyway <laughs> But, you know, just running through the town and the Merry Christmas movie house, Merry Christmas <laughs> yeah. Emporium, Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building alone. Um, this is all great. Where he walks into the house like, um, Mr. Bailey, we have something for you. It's like, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. Where are my kids? 
And he starts yelling for Mary and for the kids, and the kids come out. Oh, the the line that really gets to me, though, is he's, when he's still on the bridge, the Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu's, Zuzu's pedals. pedals. Yeah, he's just <laughs> so excited for those little <laughs> come on. wilted pieces of a flower. Yeah. yeah. What kind of name is Zuzu? Zuzu. It's um, it's short for... Like Suzanne? Like Zuzu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what it's supposed to be, but... It's cute, is what it, it is. is. It's adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. Yes. <laughs> but gosh, yeah. Yeah, the whole when all the the town comes together and they've gathered up all this money, as soon they like they all they all say that the minute they heard that George Bailey was in trouble, they went they and scrounged up all the money that they could to help him, and you completely believe that. And Mary's been on the phone and out yes. on the street talking to people, spreading the word because they love Mary just as much as they love George. Yeah, you know, at least as much. Um, because she's that light. She's that, <laughs> I, I, I can't, um, express how, I mean, it's a, it's, this is a wonderful portrait of a, of a marriage. That's a real partnership. Yeah. It's the kind that I hope that I have, that I try to have, you know, and I just love that it's depicted in this way where both of them are, have their faults, but both of them are just good people who are trying to be the best they can for themselves and for the other person. You know, it's, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool to see, you know, in so many movies, there's sort of like the domineering husband yeah. or whatever. They're, e- they're equals. This in this movie. They are absolute equals. Um, and you know, Annie's little lines, like I've been saving this up for a divorce. And never, yes. if ever I get a husband, <laughs> you know, uh, great lines. And they're just pouring money. We filled the tip jar. You know, everyone heard, they heard you were in trouble. I, I opened up the jukebox for you and, you know, just pouring all this out. This whole scene though, is just uh, a good representation. I think of, I don't know how to say it. Like what we see is like a, People have recognized, obviously, over the years, what a good person George is and what he's done for them. It's just the thing that you can't see the effect that you've had in other people and that it's not expressed. Not not being able to see that is sometimes what leads people into that kind of depression that George gets into. Yes. And he's... And he's finally able to, to see it in this scene, which I, I always think that's beautiful. And then that that line the from Clarence in the in the book, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know what it is exactly now. Uh, no man is poor who has friends. Who has friends, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reading that is what made me tear up yeah. the most. Well, and then, and then Harry's, Harry's toast, you know, where it says, to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Yes. Um, then, of course... Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Okay, we could cut this out, but I have to tell you this. When I think about that, when I, for, I don't know why this stuck in my brain, but there was an episode of Rocco's Modern Life. Do you remember that show? I remember. I never saw it. I never watched it, but I've heard of it. There's a part in one of the episodes where, that is a parody of that scene. And I knew what it was from, like, but I never knew yeah. I saw the movie. Oh, that's it's, funny. <laughs> Yeah. But it's <laughs> I forgot now I forgot what the context was, but I remember the the reaction on this. It's like uh, someone says, you know, whenever a bell rings, you know, and, and something, and the the father's response that the the little kid is saying that line to is, mm-hmm. "Well, your teacher's a moron." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And the way this has permeated pop culture is everywhere. I mean, The Simpsons um, has done stuff. <laughs> 
and there was this there was this thing on Saturday Night Live where it's like the extended ending of It's a Wonderful Life. So after this scene, they go off and get Potter and start um, killing him. And they they <laughs> they kill Potter and all this. It's funny. It's and um, then they had there's this joke where they did a an alternate on the Simpsons again. This was an alt, they had an alternate ending to Casablanca where Rick parachutes in and and. <laughs> <laughs> or Elsa parachutes back in and and uh, kills okay, Major yeah. Strasse and it's 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 so funny and or like the and then he says that ending nearly ruined us and then says here while you're at it bury that and also this one it's a, it's a wonderful life killing spree ending on the can of film it's really funny um, <laughs> the way this movie has been everywhere and just this whole idea of of you know the the Christmas special where someone sees what life would be like if they had never been there. And uh, it's kind of ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, yeah. it's, there's a reason why this movie remains beloved. I think though, is because it really is so superbly cl- crafted uh, for one from script to screen, but also I think it touches on real uh, human emotion, yeah. things that a lot of people experience and feel. And the fact that it's set at Christmas at a time when people do feel some of this pressure and sadness and darkness makes it just kind of quintessential viewing for Christmas. Yes. And that's why it, it found its way onto network television every year because it had it was gone i mean no one thought about this movie it's like and then it became it's a true cult film i mean it developed this reputation over time you know until the point where it just became a classic i mean it became recognized as it went from being obscure to being recognized as one of the great american films Mm -hmm. and i think there's good reason for it and it gets me in the feels like (laughs) almost no other movie yeah possibly can Every time there was a while, this was my number one favorite movie without a doubt. Yeah. And I said a little bit about like why this was like personally important to me. Like when I first watched this, honestly, it wrecked me when I first saw it, you know, having had those thoughts yourself and those those, like that people be better off without you that no one's really going to miss you. (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) Like, how does this not affect you? Like people, everyone, I think, not, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have thought that before. And oh yeah, and it's why the movie resonates too. Yeah, that's a hard place to be, and uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't make this movie doesn't make you feel bad for ever having those thoughts. I think no, because you understand it. Yeah, but it it just makes it it grounds you. It brings you back. Brings you out of the 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 darkness in a way. You know, yeah, it reminds you of things that you need to be reminded of to help you get through those moments. And I think this is uh, when great art can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's makes it that much more special. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, this movie came at a time when for me college and since then where I was experiencing some of that same kind of feeling. So if I'm ever feeling particularly down, this is a movie I think I need to just grab and say, it's time to watch this again. Yeah. <laughs> you know. All right. I think that kind of wraps up our <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life discussion, too. Um, well. Um, I knew that one was going to go that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
let's let's go ahead and do some recommendations. Uh, yours? What was yours? What, what did you? Decide okay, on I can again? go. Is I it, can go. Is it more related? Is it? It might be a little bit of a, speaking, a left turn with my recommendation. Sure. Technically speaking, mine is a uh, Christmas movie, I suppose, because okay. it has it in the title. Okay. Uh, yesterday, I watched Preston Sturgis's movie Christmas in July from 1940. I haven't seen it. And what's funny about this movie is it's not a Christmas movie. Okay. <laughs> That's part of the joke. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's called Christmas in July. <laughs> the title is Christmas in July, and it even has, you know, like Christmas trees and stuff like that on the title cards. Okay. <laughs> but it's actually about this kind of poor guy and his fiance. They both work at an office that's sort of like in the apartment, the you know, where C.C. Baxter works in the apartment where it's just mm-hmm. like rows and rows of desks yeah. and they're all doing the same thing, that kind of thing, right? And he has entered this contest, this advertising contest to write a slogan for a coffee company. And he has come up with what he thinks is the most brilliant slogan that could win him $25,000. And it is... If you can't sleep, it's not the coffee, it's the bunk, which is just like a terrible slogan, okay? <laughs> but he is convinced that this is going, to, and it's, it, he thinks it's funny because it's a pun and, you know, it's, anyway, uh, so he thinks he's bit, he's absolutely brilliant. It makes sense in the movie. Okay. So his co-workers pull a prank on him to make him think he's one, and he just kind of keeps going, and he ends up, um, he ends up convincing people that he actually did, including you know, unknowingly that he hasn't. And it's just sort of this farcical thing where he runs and he just stumbles into this good fortune um, that he hasn't actually earned in any way. <laughs> and so he's, why they call it Christmas in July is because he takes this check for $25,000 and he just like buys stuff for all these people in the neighborhood. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, it's funny. It's poignant. It's got a great, sort of uh, great relationship between the main characters. It's a very funny movie. I know that Brian Sauer is a big fan of this one. And um, Preston Sturgis is one of those classic era directors that is just so brilliant. He didn't make a lot of movies, but every single one of them that I've seen, you know, Great McGinty and uh, Hail the Conquering Hero and Lady Eve, <laughs> you know, uh, Sullivan's Travels. These Sullivan's are all Travels. Just, I love Sullivan's Travels. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant films. I also really like uh, Unfaithfully Yours. Anyway, they're just so good and um, well worth checking out. But uh, Christmas in July is sort of a non-Christmas Christmas movie that's sort of a lot of fun to check out. Cool. Uh, mine is completely random uh but it's something that i watched that i really liked and that i haven't really heard too many people talking about unless i missed the discourse when it first came out which i probably did i've I seen usually, a couple of people say I good usually things do. about it okay yeah john john squires has been very, has been a fan of this one yeah so i finally um kind of binge the whole of uh the i know what you did last summer series on amazon prime I was just going to watch the first episode just to see how I liked it. I ended up watching, you know, six episodes in a row yeah. in one night until it was just like, okay, I have two left, but I really have work in the morning. I got to go to bed. I can, I can wait. But yeah. so I got really into it. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, for one, I like the setting. It takes place in Hawaii, which you don't see a whole lot. Yeah. And with, um, 
you know, now, now not to sound like a get off my lawn old person, but when you see things with teenagers now, it's kind of hard to relate because they're so different than than True. we were when we uh-huh. were teenagers. But I think they do a really good job of like bringing in those um, the the modern modern elements and making it. I don't know if it's the way teenagers actually talk or whatever, but it feels very real, not very not forced or anything. Yeah. Um, and then the their relationships and the mystery that's going on it's got it involves like twin sisters so you can remove yourself pretty much from the movie sure it's the same basic story that you know a group of kids you know hit and killed somebody and they're someone a year later is getting revenge but it's a completely different thing um, of why and who is involved and like uh, even though I would say that I don't really like the ending of the series because there's no news quite yet I think on whether or not there is a season two yeah. I really really hope there is because it's not yeah Prime doesn't tend to announce them soon uh, I wish they would because I mean it's an ending but it's it's an ending that leaves so many questions and there's so much sure. more to be explored uh, in the world that they set up that they don't fully like get into like I'm praying that there's a season two but uh, the with the way it is now, I think it's it's super interesting that the actors are. I fell in love with um. I think her name is Madison um, Eisman. She's mm-hmm. the main character. Loved her. It's really it's a really interesting one to get into. It's kind of like with you know when you're a little bit unsure about uh, these kinds of shows. Like I was with the Scream series. I loved the Scream uh-huh. series. You know, but you're you're so. Uh, tied to the the original thing that maybe you can't get into it you think you won't be able to get into it as much you really can with this one it's really good they do a great job with it so i definitely recommend starting it if you haven't yet okay so um we've decided to i I think we actually announced what our following uh episode was originally going to be but we've actually decided um (laughs) i can't remember we might have we might have said it in somewhere but we've kind of had to decided to pivot we actually haven't recorded in a while um so we're kind of coming into crunch time and so we've decided instead of doing our new year's episode we originally had planned we're gonna go straight to having our next episode be our favorite discoveries and uh we don't necessarily love the discoveries word (laughs) uh we're more like first time watches uh for us for the year and well, that's we how did something i always like do it on earlier. twitter yeah. whenever it's my favorite first time watches of the month yeah. it's not my favorite discoveries but discoveries is shorter yes yeah it's more succinct more pithy um yeah we um did something like this earlier in the year so we're going to sort of go back to marches yeah to the end <laughs> of the year because we did something earlier on that went through sort of the heart of the pandemic sort of the lockdown phase of the pandemic so Um, this will be our favorite first time watches from march of 2021 till now yeah and who knows maybe i'll watch something this afternoon and i'll have to make room on the list uh who knows but that's the way it always seems to go with these things uh yeah so so this is gonna be the last episode of the year yeah yeah, so we uh, hope you have enjoyed um, our first year uh, here at Movies for Life, and we are looking forward to what we have coming up, uh, including our Discoveries episode and also our friends coming on. Uh, we hey. talked a little bit about uh, some of that in our uh, year-end wrap-up episode, so we hope you have uh, enjoyed our discussion of all sorts of things that yeah. we've talked about over the past year. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Is 
been with us all year. It's it's amazing to do the show, but it's even more amazing that people listen and and hopefully like it. Agreed. I think I think people are sticking with us, and uh, yeah, hopefully so. we'll be able to continue to grow our uh, audience. So if you want to help us out with that by giving us a rate and review on iTunes, that is huge, huge. for us. It makes a massive difference. It really does. Uh, especially for a little independent show like ours who doesn't have a big website to uh, retweet us and let us know, <laughs> let everyone know that we're out there. Uh, we're not part of I'm a network a or anything. Or yeah. Anything, so. And we, we haven't uh, had any big guests on, though <laughs> our guests are going to be fantastic because they're going to they be are. our friends and people that we interact with and enjoy interacting with. Okay, so... Real quick, let's. Uh, you can find the show at Movie Life Pod on Twitter. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're doing it different. I am doing it different because that's the most important one for me. Okay. Is find our show at Movie Life Pod, and then that's true. yeah, and then less then important can, is ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at Brian D Kuiper on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Michelle in Agen. Yeah, I also want to mention that um, we have had a, our. I've had a couple of podcast yeah. appearances that I've been on. Um, invite me on your podcast, God damn it! Yes, Could have just inviting Brian. What about me? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I was on Pod in the Pendulum. We talked talking about Gremlins with my friend Stephen uh, and of course Mike, the host of that show. Uh, I'm going to be on Stephen's show, Disenfranchised, talking about Night of the Creeps and on their Patreon to talk about Scream 4. And then I'm going to be on Cobwebs to talk about uh, the original Nightmare Alley, uh, sort of before the Del Toro movie goes wide. But hey, you've got some stuff coming up in the future with the Lindsay and stuff, so that'll be great. And I think yeah. with Daniel, so that's great. I have um, to come up with a, a movie for that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> think about what I want to talk about. So anyway, um, thank you all for listening and check out things around the web and that we've got <laughs> going on. <laughs> and uh, Brian's the one that always has things going on. I don't. Yeah, I've got a couple articles coming out that that have sort of a Christmas theme to them. Yay. One on Silent Night, Deadly Night, and another one on um, the, and all through the house, the short yeah. film, the sort of short story that is different, that was on Tales from the Crypt. So yep. anyway, um, some things coming up from us. Yay. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays, um, everybody. And however you celebrate, I uh, hope it's a wonderful time uh, for you and family if you're able to join with them. What are we going to do? <laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> we'll see you next year. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.